Many Christians boldly affirm a love for the Bible, yet fail to actually listen to what it says. As a result, a very sad and potentially dangerous situation can develop. A person can think he's gaining greater and greater freedom because of his fidelity to the Bible, when in reality, he's only plunging himself deeper and deeper into the bondage of self-deception because of his ignorance of the Bible. This was the mistake of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They presumed to be mighty in the Scriptures. But they were pseudo-biblical at best and anti-biblical at worst. Jesus continually blasted them for their dutiful observance of the law. That was little more than an effort to water down, if not altogether avoid, the real heart of God's law. This is one of the dangers currently confronting the Galatians. They've turned to obedience to the law to find acceptance and assurance with God. But they're not turning to the law as God intended. They've missed the forest because there's too many trees in the way. As a result, they have sadly forfeited the freedom that they have in Christ. So tonight is going to lead, Paul is going to lead the Galatians and you and me back to the Bible to see what the scriptures actually say. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4. And we'll read verses 21 through 31. Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31. Again, the sermon notes are at ljc.life and the scriptures on there also. Verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy. And cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. 
Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Let us pray. Father, thank you for these incredible words. Thank you for the scriptures. We ask you, Father, please give us your spirit tonight. Please give us ears to hear these words. And open up the eyes of our hearts so that we might truly see them for the way you want them to be seen. And most of all, help us to see your son the way he deserves to be seen so that we might give him all of the glory and all of the praise and all of the honor that we can muster. And Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So what the heck is going on here? <laughs> Paul launches this new section of his letter. He's starting a new thought here. And he starts it with a stinging rebuke in the form of a loaded question. It's in, in verse 21. Verse 21. He says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Ironic, isn't it, that the Galatians are ready to embrace the law without having any idea of really what the law says. This is a dangerous proposition. And now, look, I understand this section of Galatians might seem complex because he's like talking about Hagar and Sarah and the slave woman, the free woman and all this. It seems complex. I, I hope that I can help break it down for you. But really, the, uh, the purpose of this passage for Paul is pretty clear. And it's this. He wants to help the Galatians and you and me recover our freedom in Christ. That's the purpose of it. He wants to help the Galatians and you and me recover our freedom in Christ. And so Paul shows us three things here in this passage. He shows us the barrier to freedom, the source of freedom, and the place of freedom. Barrier to freedom, the source of freedom, and the place of freedom. Number one, it shows us the barrier to freedom. This is in verse uh, verses 22 through 24. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Okay, so Paul takes us back to Genesis, back to the story of Abraham, Sarah, and his two sons, 
Ishmael, and Isaac. Now, Ishmael and Isaac, they were the offspring of one father, Abraham, but they had two different mothers. Ishmael was born to Hagar, the slave, and Isaac was born to Sarah, the free. What Paul is interested in here is the two very different approaches that led to the births of Ishmael and Isaac. You see, Ishmael is the result of human initiative. What Paul associates with, quote, the flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, is the fruit of divine initiative. What Paul associates with, quote, the promise. Look at verse 23. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. So Paul uses this story in a figurative way, right? He says that here, that this is being used figuratively to show us how a person becomes a child of God and an heir of the promise. The false teachers in Galatia were teaching the Christians there that they can become children of God by means of the flesh, by means of the flesh, through circumcision and strict obedience to the law. That's what they were teaching them. But here's the problem with trying to bring about spiritual results with human initiatives. You only get human results. That's all you get. Flesh begets flesh. Sinful human beings beget sinful human beings. Okay, that's how that works. So God promised Abraham a son. And Abraham's like, okay, well, there's one small problem with that. God, my wife is barren. Sarah, his wife, the free woman, was barren. She couldn't have any children. They were, they were uh, up in age, as we say. And so Abraham's like, well, that's cool, God. Thank you for the promise, so I know what I'll do. I'll just go ahead and take it upon myself to make your promise happen. And so that's what he did. Uh, That's why he had sex with Hagar, a slave. And that's why she bore a son named Ishmael, which is where we get the word Islam. It's actually where the word Islam comes from. By relying on his own efforts rather than the promises of God. Abraham royally screwed up his family and in turn, the entire world. In 2001, we had planes flown into our towers in New York City because Abraham took it upon himself to bring about God's promises. And Paul is saying something remarkable here. He's saying that this is no different than you and me turning to the law to find assurance and rest in God. It's no different. Rather than providing us with assurance, it screws everything up. It does. Human effort is the barrier to freedom in Christ. This is why Paul insists in verse 24 that the old covenant established at Mount Sinai is only, quote, bearing children for slavery, 
end quote. And because Sinai's children are all of the flesh, the Sinai covenant can only put its adherents under the curse of the law. That's the only option. Sinai does not lead to freedom. Human effort does not lead to freedom. No. True freedom can only come through divine initiative. Divine initiative. And thankfully, 2,000 years ago, in a lowly stable in Bethlehem, the ultimate divine initiative came. Freedom now in the new covenant comes to us through faith in Jesus. By believing and resting in Him and in what He has done and what He has promised to do. It's through faith in Christ that true freedom comes. But that's fun to talk about. It's fun to preach about. But what does that look like in everyday life? Like that may be making some sense in this environment, but how does this work when I go to school tomorrow or when I go to work tomorrow or when I'm at home? How, how can I as a Christian walk and rest in Christ's freedom? I'll give you one example. Most of us at some point in our lives will face uh, the temptation of retaliation. Retaliation. So someone has wronged us, and we want to get back at them. Okay? So that would be the sin of retaliation. But the Bible expressly forbids that. Okay? Expressly forbids it. So what do we do? Should we rely on the commandment not to exact vengeance. Well, that's what the false teachers would suggest. And that's what a many, many American pastors would suggest. But it is not what Paul suggests. Instead, Paul says that we should rest. Rest in the promise from God that all Vengeance belongs to him. Do you see the difference? <laughs> Do you see the difference? Now, I understand the idea of God exacting vengeance might be a scary thing. Probably should be a scary thing. But in this context, it's also very liberating. It's very liberating. You and I don't have to bear the burden of vengeance against those who have wronged us. Instead, we hand it over to God. And we trust Him to punish every sin and to right every wrong. Do you see the freedom here? Christians get to lay all their burdens on the broad shoulders of Jesus. Which brings us to our second point. The source of freedom. The source of freedom. If the Galatians want to enjoy their freedom in Christ, there's a word they need to hear from the prophet Isaiah. From Isaiah. 
Now, Isaiah is writing to Israel while they are in exile. And Israel at this time was a barren people. And this is a word they needed to hear, and really I think it's a word you and I need to hear badly also. And Paul quotes Isaiah here in verse 27. You want to look at it. Uh, Verse 27, he says, For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Here is what the Galatians and you and I need to hear. Freedom comes from and is preserved by God's power alone. It's by God's power alone. You see, as a nation, Israel was floundering. They were in big trouble with no way of escape. They were like a woman who could not conceive. No life was coming from Israel. But that wasn't the end of their story. God himself promised that he would turn things around for them and that he would bring new life into and out of Israel. A day was coming when Israel would flourish spiritually and be even more blessed than a woman with many children. And Paul is saying that that day of flourishing and blessing has come. It has come with the coming of Jesus and the dawning of his church. Paul is insisting that Isaiah's prophecy is being fulfilled in the Galatians' midst. Look at verse 28. Verses 28 and 29. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. It is the same now. You see, the Galatians have apparently missed the fact that they are the children of the promise. They are the children of the desolate one, the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, the heirs of the promise. Not by their human efforts, but by divine power and grace working through their faith. You see, the Galatians are not descendants of Abraham. Not physically. Because they were pagan, they were Gentiles. But Paul is saying, oh, but yeah, you are. Through your faith, you are children of the desolate woman. You are children of Sarah and Abraham. Not by your works, but by your faith. Your faith. You are heirs of the promise. Just like he did in Genesis 1-1, God is bringing something out of nothing. God is causing even the barren to give birth. He is turning Sinners into saints and slaves 
into sons. And it's all him. It's all his decision and it's all his power that is bringing this about. So take heart tonight, believers. Take heart, don't you see? Your place in God's kingdom is sustained not at all by you, but only by the power and grace of Christ. The God who made you his child will keep you his child forever. Forever. And that leads us to our last point. The place of freedom. The place of freedom. If God's people are going to walk, truly walk in their freedom in Christ, they must hear and heed a third word from Paul. Now this is a surprising and even startling word. But every Christian needs to hear it. Let's look at it. This is verses 29 through 31. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul gets these words straight out of Sarah's mouth in Genesis chapter 21. Sarah herself says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Now, Sarah spoke these words when she saw Ishmael laughing at Isaac and mocking him. That's why she said that. Now, Paul, remember again, is using this historical story as an analogy to teach us something. And here he is pointing to the long-standing rivalry between children of the flesh and children of the promise. What's interesting is this battle not only takes place on the outside, but it takes place on the inside of every believer. Though I am a new creation in Christ, the old me is still here. He's still present, mocking and making war against the promises of God. And false teachers are coming along, and they're telling me that I'm just not doing enough to earn the favor and blessings of God, and that I must do more. I must try harder. I must be more faithful. This is happening constantly to all believers, all of us. And it's keeping us from truly walking in the freedom of Jesus Christ. We must therefore stop listening to the inner child of the flesh, our former selves, and stop listening to law-based preachers. Look at verse 25. Let's turn back to verse 25. Paul says, Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. 
we must stop going to Mount Sinai to find God. We must stop going to the moral law to find assurance, justification, and rest. Like Ishmael, the law only mocks us. It only laughs at us for our utter inability to follow it. Paul stated plainly back in chapter 3, verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Stop relying on your church attendance for your security with God. Stop relying on your tithing record or your serving record or your good deeds record. Stop running to the law. It will only enslave you. But then the question becomes, where shall we go then? Where shall we go? Where can we run for assurance and rest and security? Verse 30 gives us a clue. Verse 30. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. The ESV says, cast out the slave woman and her son. At one point in time, you and I were the slave woman and her son cast out and cut off from the presence and the promises of God. And no amount of good works could ever bring us back. So, how then did we become children of God and heirs of the promise? Once again, the prophet Isaiah gives us the answer. This time, from chapter 53, the prophet writes, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cast out, cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Don't you see? You and I get the blessings of the free woman because Jesus Christ got the curse of the slave woman. The only reason we were brought in to God's family is because Jesus was cast out. 
the only reason we are free is because Jesus took our place in the chains. The only reason we have eternal life is because Jesus suffered death in our place. Vengeance does indeed belong to God. But it's already been poured out on his son for you and for me. We do not run to the law for rest and hope. We stay at the foot of the cross where it all began. We don't reassure ourselves by saying, look what I have done. We reassure ourselves by saying, look what he has done. Look what he has done. I've invited so many non-Christian people to church over the years. Tons of them. And so often they will say things like, you know, I, I will come as soon as I get my life right. Or, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come as soon as I get some things cleaned up. No! <laughs> no! That will only put you in more slavery than you're in now. That's just more bondage. That idea. Christ is offering you freedom. Why would you put yourself... Why would you run to the law? The only thing you'll find there is more misery and bondage. Don't clean yourself up. Just come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that he loves you and has nothing but freedom to offer you. But here's what's wild this is wild to me. But Christians end up with this same mentality. They end up with the same mentality. I've just heard it over and over and over again. They'll say things like, yeah, I'll serve on the worship team, but man, I just got some things to work on in my life right now. Just There's some sin I've got to get rooted out. Or I'll come to a life group as soon as I get some things cleaned up. I just... There's some things i got to get straight in my life. It'd just be too embarrassing for me to come right now in the state that I'm in. No! No! Once again, you are running to the law. And the only thing you will find there is bondage and slavery. You are going to Mount Sinai to find God and he's not there anymore. He's not there. You're only putting on shackles that Jesus died to remove. Don't come to Jesus and say, let me try harder. Come to Jesus and say with the hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Folks, this is what the Bible actually teaches. Do not miss it.
Let's turn our attentions to the screens now. I gave my life to Jesus about a thousand times at teenage shrines of rare experience. They'd blare delirious, then dare obedience. I'd swear allegiance, soul-bared and serious, each prayer more daring than the previous. On stage the preacher saw we staunch hardcore flocked to the fore to knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. He claimed salvations like he was keeping score, yet none were sure but he. None doubted more than me. So I prayed again to firm cement it, making sure I really meant it. Vowed my life to be amended, willed my all to dust ascended, gave my heart to be expended. Then when all my prayers were ended, it's nothing but myself lamented. Oh, I pretended all was mended and extended lifted hands, but within I could not understand what more could he demand. I gave my life to Jesus a thousand different ways, no single day would pass without this act. I would contract to yield my every part, to make one more fresh start, to be more set apart. And in return I'd yearn for him to impart the merest trace of grace into my heart. I gave my life to Jesus, though faith was ever flagging, doubts nagging, zeal sagging, dragging down to duty's basement. Still at least I have my bracelet. Dear bracelet, give me strength anew. The bracelet counseled. What would Jesus do? And to answer, all I could think is that he would sink to his knees in passioned pleas as at Gethsemane. And in almighty self-surrender, there he rendered all to God who silent let him fall. So what should I do? I too would heed that call and likewise sprawl before the splendor. This crawl became my pattern, each new day I flattened self before the Lord, pressed down to gain reward that never came, but all the same I'd call. And all the while the preachers told me, give control, not part but wholly, give yourself, your heart, your all, but rarely do I recall being told what he gave, my Lord, to say. Except, they slipped it in, you can script us, they gripped us. With Jesus whipped, our saviour stripped, the blood had dripped from the cross. But they ripped it from its gospel frame to say, now you, you do the same. As Christ's offering was flipped, we were guilt-tripped by the very act that saved us. And so it was engraved, instilled, the cross is a standard unfulfilled by us. Oh, but we try. My, how we try. We bow the knee and bear the load, it was the very least we owe. I gave my life to Jesus, but somewhere down the road I slid. My faith undid, even amid my church, my prayers, even as I bid for heaven's care. Beneath the lid, the venom hid. I was your youth group's keenest kid, but no one hated God like I did. See, with him it's just take, take, take without a break. His thirst for blood, who can slake? At least vampires get you just once. This God holds perpetual hunts. I gave my life to Jesus, but I guess it was no good. I did what I could to appease him, but no pleasing seemed possible. So this elder brother turned prodigal. And I could chronicle the years headed east to a far country unpoliced. It was a famine disguised as a feast, a pigsty dressed up as release. But there, at the end of the track, 
when all was pitch black with life out of whack there what brought me back this book because this book as i read did not say what they said to those who lived under piety's dread by their leaders misled this book said repent and believe the good news the kingdom of god is at hand there he stands in your stead your king lift your head he has shouldered your dread arms outstretched to lake lead as i read i met him the father's sheer gift now offered to lift those who are cowering the feeble empowering the filthy clean showering the lowly now towering in him so that night on his knees yet his pleas those prayers they were said for me See, I am not Jesus there in the garden begging for pardon. I'm Peter. And despite all my boasts, I'm asleep at my post. And Jesus does it all for me. Do we give our life to Jesus? Talk about cart before horse. Can we resource the source who flows like a river? He is the giver and we just receive. That's what it means for us to believe. So I'll leave an appeal to the preachers who feel that they must stir up zeal and let it be his we reveal. You say, give your heart. This says Christ is the donor. You say, yield your life. This says he was always the owner. You say, get on fire. This says you are the light. You say, keep running to God. This says, walk in Christ. You say, dare to be a missional, intentional, incarnational, contextualized, no compromise, countercultural, radical, red letter, fully devoted disciple. This says, follow. You say, get hungry for God. This says, take, eat, swallow. You say, press into God. This says, you're hidden in Christ. You say, be a world changer. This says, lead a quiet life. You say, surrender all. This says, you're not your own. You say, step up to the plate. This says, you're raised to the throne. You say, burnout. This says, shine. You say, work hard on your personal relationship with Jesus. This says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Folks, look at the book and unhook from this wearisome, will-driven view. Stop giving your life to Jesus. He's the giver delivered for you.